You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. There are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works Volume 93A by Rudolf Steiner, The Participants' Notes of 31 Lectures Given in the Early Years, entitled Foundations of Esotericism, translated by Vera and Judith Compton Burnett. This is Lecture 30, given in Berlin on the 4th of November, 1905. Today, in connection with the previous lecture, some aphoristic remarks will follow concerning the different races. First, however, attention will be drawn to certain things, the reasons for which only appear in a few books. The so-called laws of nutrition in the various civilizations appear at first to be very arbitrary. This is not so, however. They are born out of knowledge and wisdom, but we must strictly bear in mind that our present-day humanity is not at all in a position to be able to follow such matters as we now wish to deal with. They will, nevertheless, provide a basis for certain laws of social life. Of course, no one should believe that one immediately becomes an adept simply by going over to vegetarianism and so on. Among Oriental peoples, there is a certain way of practicing the art of healing in which the doctors attach the greatest importance to the nourishing of their own physical bodies. In places where the old spiritual life still exists, there are those who have become healers by following a diet consisting exclusively of milk. They are quite clear that because they exclude everything else, they gain certain healing forces within themselves, especially in the treatment of so-called mental illnesses. They have their special methods. They know for certain that when they only take milk, they then develop quite definite forces. Let us be clear about the intuition upon which this depends. This profound intuition can be understood in the following way. We know of a definite happening in human evolution. In the middle of the Lemurian age, the original human element divided into an ascending humanity and an animal kingdom. With this is bound up the fact that the forces which the earth still had when it was united with the moon, also divided, and a part of this total separated with the moon from the earth. Let us think of the time when the earth was still united with the moon. Man then stood at quite a different stage of development. He already had warm blood, but was not yet divided into two sexes. It was with the separation of the moon that this division into the two sexes is to be observed. So that when today you look up at the moon, you can say, it is your separation from the earth that has brought it about that the power of human reproduction has divided into two parts. There was also a time on the earth in which humanity was directly connected, was merged together with what was animal and was also nourished by the animal. This kind of nourishment cannot be easily understood by those without the power of clairvoyance. We can, however, form a conception of this 
when we observe the normal manner of nourishment of mammals, which feed their young with their own milk. With the division of the power of reproduction, this kind of nutrition also appeared. Earlier human beings could absorb food substance just as today the lungs take in the air. At that time, threads of suction connected man with the whole of nature around him, somewhat in the manner in which today the embryo is nourished in the body of the mother. This was the old form of nourishment on the earth. A relic of this is the suckling of mammals, and milk is like the nourishment mankind took in pre-Lemurian times. It is the old food of the gods, the first form of nourishment on the earth. At that time the nature of the earth was such that everywhere this nourishment could be sucked from it. Thus milk is a product of the first form of human food. When the physical constitution of man was nearer to the divine, he sucked milk out of his surroundings. Occultists know how man is connected with nature. The taking of milk is a transformation of a primeval form of nourishment. Man's first food was always milk. In the saying, the milk of human kindness, this expression is used intentionally. We must ask, how was it originally brought about that milk, as it then was, could be sucked out of the earth? The moon forces in the earth made this possible, like an all-pervading bloodstream, they permeated the entire earth. But when the moon departed, these forces could only be concentrated in special organs of living beings. The occultist calls milk the moon food. Sons of the moon are those who nourish themselves on milk. The moon brought about milk. It has been verified that the oriental healers, who only live on milk, again absorb the original forces which were on the earth when milk still flowed in streams. They said these are the forces which brought mankind into existence. These productive forces must also be health-bringing, so we ourselves gain the power to further health when we only take milk and exclude everything else. Let us transfer ourselves into the pre-Lemurian age. Then the condition prevailed when milk was sucked out from the surroundings. A condition arose when milk became the general nourishment for mankind, and then, later, the condition when nourishment was provided by the mother's milk. Before the time when milk was imbibed from nature, there was an age in which the earth was still united with the sun. Then there existed a sun nourishment. Just as milk has remained over from the moon, products have also remained which are ripened by the sun. Everything irradiated with sunlight, blossoms and fruits of the plants, belongs to the sun. Formerly, their growth inclined toward the center of the earth, when the earth was still united with the sun. They planted themselves into the sun with their blossoms. When the earth separated from the sun, they retained their old character. They turned their blossoms once again toward the sun. Man is the inverse of the plant. That part of the plant which grows above the earth has the same relationship to the sun as milk has to the moon, is, therefore, sun food. Side by side with milk nourishment 
there arose a kind of plant nourishment, namely from the upper parts of the plant. This was the second form of human food. Thus, when the Lemurian age was approaching its end, two human types faced each other, the one kind, the sons of the moon, who bred animals and nourished themselves from what the animals produced, from their milk, and a second kind who fed on plants, on the produce of the earth. This fact is portrayed in the story of Cain and Abel. Abel is a shepherd, Cain a tiller of the soil. Abel represented the moon race and Cain the sun race. This allegory is very profound. Occult teaching reveals this in a somewhat concealed way. That divine being who gave man the possibility of becoming a moon being, nourishing himself with the transformed moon food, was called by the Jewish people Jehovah. He was the nourishing force of nature. This flowed toward Abel, and he took it from his flocks. It was a falling away from Jehovah when man went over to the sun food. This is why Jehovah would not accept Cain's offering, because it was the offering of a sun food. When we go back into the most ancient times, we find no nourishment at all except milk the food which man receives from living animals. This is the first form of nourishment as it still is now in the first weeks of life. And the Eastern healer relates this form of nourishment to the saying, If you do not become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. All these things have their significance. Now from the Lemurian we come to the Atlantean age to the peoples who lived in the region of the present Atlantic Ocean. With the Atlanteans, something new appears. They began, for the first time, to eat food that was not taken from what is living, but which came from what was dead. They consumed what had given up life. This is a very important transition in human evolution. Through the fact that human beings nourished themselves from the lifeless, it became possible to make the transition to egohood. This feeding on what is dead is rightly connected with the desire for the ego, the I. Man became independent through eating what is dead. He took the lifeless into himself in various forms, at first in the emergence of hunting peoples who killed animals. Later peoples arose who ate not only what was ripened by the sun, but what ripened below the surface of the earth. This is just as lifeless as the dead animal. Everything living in the lowest part of animal nature, what is saturated with blood, has turned away from the moon force. The moon force itself is still in milk, which is connected with the life process. Whereas when man eats what is dead, he absorbs the forces of what is dying, Equally dead is that part of the plant that grows below the surface of the earth, that is not shown upon and warmed by the life principle of the sun. Thus there is a similarity between the root and the blood-saturated body of the animal. Later another form of food was added which did not exist earlier. Man introduced into his food what was purely mineral, what he took out of the earth, salt, and so on. 
In his food, therefore, he passed through the three kingdoms. This is approximately the course which the Atlantean civilization passed through in regard to nourishment. First came the hunting peoples, then the farming peoples, and third the development of mining, which brought to light what is under the earth. All these things represent a turning away from the actual force of life or of production. The dead animal is separated from life. That part of the plant which is in the soil is also separated from life. Everything of the nature of salt is the dead nature of the mineral kingdom that remains as a residue. Now we come to the fifth root race, the post-Atlantean. The drinking of milk and the eating of fruit continued. Other things were added as something new. In the fifth root race, the most outstanding addition is what was gained from minerals, that is to say, by means of a chemical process. This is indicated in Genesis. What is it that was gained by means of a chemical process? There is an ascent in evolution. Chemistry is applied to plants, to fruit. Out of this, wine arose. This did not exist on Atlantis. Therefore, the Bible tells us that Noah, the original ancestor of the post-Diluvian race, became intoxicated by wine. By means of a mineral-chemical process, something was produced from the plant kingdom. Wine then played a special role in the whole of the fifth root race. All initiates at the beginning of the fifth root race had taken their traditions from the time of the Atlantean race, when there was as yet no wine. The Indian, Persian, and Egyptian initiates had no need of wine. What played a part in the sacred rituals was exclusively water. With the fifth root race, wine made its appearance, in which the mineral treatment of the plant had to play its part. The first three sub-races were repetitions of what was earlier. The fourth sub-race was the first to develop something new, which was to appear in the fifth root race. A certain sacredness was claimed for wine. In this connection, cults emerged in which wine played a part, the cult of Dionysus. A wine god even appeared. This had gradually been prepared for in the development of humanity. Wine had first made its appearance with the Persians. Here, however, wine was still something quite secular. Only gradually did it find its way into ritual, into the Dionysus cult. The fourth sub-race is the one which first brought forth Christianity, and also the one which seven hundred years earlier announced its mission through the Dionysian dramas. These first took wine into the sphere of the cult. This fact was portrayed in the most wonderful way by that evangelist who knew most about Christianity, St. John. He describes at the very beginning the transformation of water into wine, for Christianity came at first for the fourth sub-race of the fifth root race. A teaching was needed which makes sacred what had to come about on the physical plane. Wine cuts human beings off from everything spiritual. Whoever takes wine cannot attain the spiritual. He can know nothing of Atma, Buddhi, and Manas, of what is lasting, of what reincarnates. This had to be 
The whole course of human evolution is a descent and a reascent. Man had to descend to the lowest point, and it was in order that he should come right down onto the physical plane that the Dionysian cult made its appearance. The human body had to be prepared for materialism through the Dionysian cult. This was why a religion had to appear that changed water into wine. Formerly, wine was strictly forbidden to the priests. They could experience atma, buddhi, and manas. Now, a religion had to come about which led right down onto the physical plane. Otherwise, human beings would not have completely descended. This religion, which led them downward, had to have an outer manifestation, a manifestation that was turned away from atma, buddhi, and manas, from reincarnation and only drew attention to what was of a general nature. The next thing will be that wine is again turned into water. If at this earlier time water had not been changed into wine, the human being would not have absorbed everything which was in this earthly veil for him to receive. In the description at the beginning of St. John's Gospel of the changing of water into wine at the marriage in Cana, we are shown how Christ took into account the worldly circumstances at the time. But he also reckoned with the future through the fact that for his part he inaugurated the sacrament of the Last Supper. The Last Supper is the greatest symbol of the one who, with the fourth sub-race, began this stream of civilization. Being indeed the true Son of Man, in quotes, who descended to the greatest depths, in order to rise again with the greatest power. He had to hold to what was then in existence and show mankind how the physical constitution of the race was connected with his mission. If humanity were to ascend again, it was necessary for them to have a symbol leading once more from the dead to the living, bread and wine. In the occult sense, bread is what only comes about when the plant has been killed. Again, wine comes about when the plant has been killed, but then further treated with mineral substance. When one bakes the plant, one does the same as when one kills the animal. When we draw wine from the plant kingdom, in a certain sense we do the same as when we bleed the animal. Bread and wine are there as the symbol of the fourth sub-race. What should develop in the future is a further ascent from plant to mineral nourishment. Bread and wine must again be sacrificed, must be given up. Thus, as Christ appeared in the fourth sub-race, he pointed to bread and wine. Quote, this is my body, this is my blood. Close quote. Here he wished to create a transition from animal nourishment to plant nourishment, the transition to something higher. At that time there were two classes of human beings. Firstly, there were those whose nourishment was flesh and blood. These are the pre-Christian people with whom Christ in no way concerned himself. Secondly, those who only killed plants, who drew from plants their blood, people who ate bread and drank wine. With these he was still concerned. They are the forerunners of that humanity which will exist in the future. The significance of the Last Supper is the transition from nourishment taken from the dead animal 
to nourishment taken from the dead plant. In the sixth subrace, when our fifth subrace will have reached its end, the Last Supper will be understood. Even before this it will be possible for the third form of nourishment to begin to make its appearance, the purely mineral. Man himself will then be able to create his nourishment. Today he takes what the gods have created for him. Later he will advance and will himself prepare in the chemical laboratory the substances he will require. So you see that all these things arise out of deep intuitions. When, with the old Eastern peoples, we find all kinds of instructions about what should be eaten, these are not actually laws, but stories. You should not expect the effect of substances to be other than they are. That which Christ killed, which was actually sacrificed after he had partaken of the Last Supper, is the physical body. This dies. For the whole of humanity, this will die. Toward the middle of the sixth root race, in the last third, there will no longer be a physical body. Then the entire human being will again be etheric. It will pass over into the finer substance. But this will not happen if man himself does not bring it about. For this he must first pass over to the nourishment which he prepares in the laboratory so that man, in so far as he no longer takes his nourishment from nature, but gains it from his own wisdom, from the God within him, so far does he also hasten toward his own deification. When man begins to nourish himself, the foundation will also be laid for something higher, that is, self-reproduction. From the mineral world he will gradually create life for himself. This is the great progression of human evolution. What the natural scientist knows today is only a small excerpt from a great cycle. With Saturn we come into the mineral age. In the Atlantean epoch, through consuming what was dead, preparation was made for what was to bring about egoism. From the original Semites, the fifth sub-race of the fourth root race, up to the present fifth sub-race of the fifth root race, the human ego, the human eye, was very gradually developed. In the sixth sub-race of the fifth root race, the eye will again reach a higher stage of development. This means that we stand before a so-called spiral of existence. And there's a diagram. The previous spiral began when the original Semites laid the foundation for the present root race. It is to the original Semite civilization that we owe everything that has existed up till the present time. But now there begins a new impulse from the Slavonic peoples which will lead into the future. A kind of break with the past will be brought about by a people who will introduce a new impulse into the world. This is working as hidden spirituality out of the Russian peasantry. It will form the second part of the coming spiral. At the present time a certain culture is in process of decay and a new one is being prepared. It is being prepared in the West and will come to fruition in the East. But the old must stimulate the new. Wherever in our time we have new impulses, these are seminal, awkward, clumsy. In contrast, 
the old is clear-cut, but with a character which is divisive and destructive. It was the Semitic race which gave birth to the carriers of the old culture, who are the bearers of what spirals into the vortex. All these have something Semitic about them. Examples LaSalle marks. The spiral turns inward. A continuation from here is not possible. Now a leap must be made as though from one river bank to the other, to the spirituality of the future culture of the East. This is a completely new impulse. What belongs to the future is as yet unformed and is infected naturally by the old. Hackle is someone who swims in midstream and is pulled in both directions. The first part of Hackle's title Weltretzel, Riddle of the Universe, is positive, elementary theosophy. The second part is negative and altogether destructive. This is a double spiral, verbal. We can also observe contradictions in the socialism of the East and the West. The socialism of the West is a socialism of production. That of the East is a socialism of consumption. One who organizes the social life in the direction of production reckons with possessiveness, with egoism. He who reckons with consumption turns his attention to what others require from him. He bears his fellow man in mind, reckons with brotherhood. The socialism of production, Marx, LaSalle, only bears the worker in mind insofar as he is the producer. In the East, the consumer is placed in the foreground, as for instance with Kropotkin, Bakunin, Herzen. You can see things building up to a climax if you follow Kropotkin. He understood the principle of mutual assistance in the case of animals. The socialism of the West is entirely built on strife. In this way, the currents of world evolution play into one another. The end of Lecture 30